Super Talk Mississippi media production. What is Moondog? Moondog Makers and Bakers is not just a catering company. It's blended tradition with innovation and something familiar just done differently. To get a taste of what they're truly all about, you can order some awesome merch, crafted spice blends, or request catering for your very own event. MoondogMakersandBakers.com. What is up on a Friday? I'm Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator here is Colin Brister. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this Friday edition of the Rebel Report. A lot to get to. Busy weekend on campus. You've got the Grove Bowl. Uh, We'll get into kind of four or five things to maybe look for in the spring game. I don't think you're going to see a ton from you know, a schematic perspective as far as what this team's going to look like, but you'll see some personnel stuff among other things. Um, Ole Miss has a really important series of baseball against Florida in baseball this weekend. Excuse me. They have gone TBA on Sunday, so we'll kind of get into who that may be. Uh, I'm actually writing a piece kind of on that as we speak. It's kind of Doug Nikhazy focused, but it kind of spins it forward to Sunday. So we'll get into some of that. A really important weekend for baseball, particularly coming off such a bizarre midweek loss after it's like you had the high point and the low point of the season in about a span of about two days. Yeah, so like a lot to get into. Um, Colin, what's up? Not much, not much. Ready for the for the weekend. What about yourself? Yeah, I guess so, if you'll call it a weekend. I mean, I've got baseball tonight, <laughs> spring game during the day, and then baseball tomorrow night. It's two straight weekends with Saturday night baseball games. Like, I don't That's know when we'll see hear me complain, but, like, that kind of sucks. Um, <laughs> so... Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I guess we can jump right into it. We'll get into baseball. So Ole Miss has Florida coming to town this weekend. There are two teams that kind of mirror themselves in some ways in terms of not necessarily like, like I guess, like lineup-wise, but two teams that are still trying to learn a lot about themselves. And I don't think they were still trying, like Envision still trying to learn a lot about themselves, you know, the first weekend of April. The biggest thing here that jumped out, off the page, really, just from the game notes, is Ole Miss obviously going Etheridge Nikhazy TBA on Sunday. Florida is TBA every day after Friday. Yep. Um, Florida's really struggled with uh, Jack Leftwich and, and Sam, not Sam Dyson, uh, Tyler Dyson in the rotation. So obviously, uh, after they go, they'll go Tommy Mace tonight, who's been really good for them. But after that, they've really, really struggled. And I'm sure they'll play it, you know, by committee. Um, Florida has arms, but you know Tyler Dyson and 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 Jack Leftwich have really really struggled for them. Um, Leftwich more so than Dyson, but they they've still got to make uh, you know some changes. I think uh, a guy named Tyler Ruth he pitched seven point two innings on Sunday for them uh, after Leftwich struggled to get out of the fir- or barely got out of the first inning. I think he's a guy they probably look at to go on Saturday. I'm not sure what they'll do on Sunday, but yeah, it's kind of just uncertain from a pitching perspective, kind of for both teams this weekend. Yeah, that's really what's plagued Florida. It seems like more so than anything else is them not being able to kind of settle into a rotation. It hasn't helped that they're scheduled like heading into SEC play. Like if they were worried about their rotation, how that hold up their schedule did not do them any favors. No, I mean, you play a really good Mississippi State team. You play what I think is the best team in the country in Vanderbilt, and you get beat up on. And, you know, they they, they, you know, they shut down Alabama on Friday night uh, last week with uh, um, Mace going throwing a complete game. But on Saturday and Sunday, they just did not get much out of Dyson and Leftwich. And, and so now they're, you know, they're kind of in a pickle trying to – and they haven't really used a ton of guys in SEC play. So it'll be interesting to see what they do because they, they've kind of relied heavily on two bullpen arms outside of outside of Dyson and, and Leftwich. So, you know, there's not a lot of experience there. Uh, so, it, you know, you, who knows what you'll see this weekend. You know, I was expecting, you know, if they, they let, stay with Leftwich and, and Dyson that Ole Miss would face three righties. But I wouldn't be shocked if Florida throws a – left-handed pitcher now the, the issue for florida is they haven't got a ton of left-handed pitching but if i'm them you know i'd roll a kid out there that maybe hasn't thrown seven innings all year just to see what happens yeah they're in the bottom three of the league and runs allowed um earn runs allowed e- team era so like they're the it, it's been Which an is issue wild yeah yeah considering because florida's kind of like vanderbilt where you just assume they're going to run out eight kids that throw 95 yeah I mean, and, but they're, I mean, they're fourth in the league. Like their, their team batting average isn't great, which is kind of misleading. Cause that, that's not necessarily a good indicator of whether you're a productive team of scoring right. runs. Cause they're third, they have a two forty five team average, but they're third in the conference and run scored. So offense hasn't really been an issue. Ole Miss is third at 
236 runs, four to fourth at 228. So, I mean, their offense has been sufficient. It probably is, it's, in some ways, it seems like it's, like, I haven't watched very much of Florida, but in some ways, it seems like it's been kind of like old misses into where there's there's the pieces there, but it hasn't been consistent. Yeah, it's that, but I think Florida is playing a good bit of younger guys, too. You know, they're really solid one through five in their lineup, but it kind of falls off six through nine, and and I, I really like what O'Sullivan's done. He's playing the kids. He's not, you know, they've struggled. Um, it's kind of like what Ole Miss had to do in 17. You just got to play them and hope they figure it out because they're going to be big pieces for you. So he's playing, I think, four freshmen. And he's just sticking with them right now, and, and he's going to let them figure it out. And uh, those guys have struggled to uh, start SEC play, but you know they're really talented kids, and, and they can come out of it at any time. So uh, hopefully, for Ole Miss's sake, they don't come out of it this weekend. I think you know the first five guys in their lineup have an OPS over 800 in SEC play, and then none of the rest of the guys have an OPS over 700. So it's uh, you know it's a top heavy lineup for sure. Yeah, and. Like from Ole Miss's perspective, it feels like you say this every week, but like it's so weird because you're learning so much about this team every week. It feels like, or I, I say learning, you, maybe you're left with more questions each week about this team. I don't know. Last <laughs> week it feels like you learned a little bit, but like it keep like like every weekend feels like a crucial series, but it really is in the sense to where they can't really afford with what's ahead of them to lose two out of three. No, I mean, Ole Miss has got to figure out a way to go five and one over the next six. I think that's kind of obvious uh, when you play. Well, not five and one. They got to figure out a way to go four and two. Whether that's win one against Florida and three against Kentucky, whatever. You've got to figure out a way to go four and two over the next six. Make sure you're with three out lefties. I'm probably not banking on taking three from Kentucky. No, probably not. But I think it's only two lefties now. I think they've you know dismissed one from the rotation after a horrible start. Um, the issue with that is is Kentucky is horrible, but they have a first round left handed pitcher who's going to give Ole Miss problems. Um, but yeah, I mean, you just got to figure out a way to go four and two, whatever way that is, and and you got to be nine and six and, and look up and have to go nine and six again and get to eighteen and twelve. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's every every series is kind of important for Ole Miss right now, and you know that's life in the SEC to an extent. But it's also the fact that Ole Miss hasn't gotten much accomplished in the non-conference. If anything, the non-conference has been a detriment to them. So, with saying that, I mean you've got to make up ground in the SEC. Yeah, but is 18 wins really realistic with as much moving parts as there is with this team right now? I mean. Okay, I said 18 wins before the year is what I expected, so I, I don't think it's you know uh, outlandish. It's not impossible, but like I no, mean, it just I feels think, like the way things are going. It's I think if like, you got eh. to nine, I think if you got to nine and six, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be impossible. That's fair. So, I mean, and that, so, so the biggest question, obviously, with with Ole Miss this weekend and who's starting Sunday, Mike Bianco for the first time, I believe, all season goes TBA on Sunday. Yep. Um, Gunnar Hoagland hasn't offered them really much at all. Um, outside of what one start and i believe that was uab uh he was really good against alabama maybe it was okay alabama all these weeks run together so he has yeah he hasn't offered a ton he struggled he's really way too fastball reliant um we had a baseball media op yesterday um yeah mike just said he's kind of using that as i guess time to think about it gunner hoagland did not sound like a guy that was pitching on sunday even though he said you know i don't know i might i might not mike said the same thing mike said it could be gunner i don't know what he's going to do but it's it's an interesting move i I would think the two most likely candidates are houston roth and tyler myers i think i think tyler myers is i think what they're going into the weekend um thinking it's going to be Tyler Myers if he's not used. And then if he's used, it's going to be Houston Roth. Um, they, they really like what Myers has done recently. Obviously, he's thrown 10 scoreless innings in a row. Uh, I think his stuff plays as a starter, too. I think uh, there's some longevity in there. So, yeah, I lean towards it being Myers and, and them wanting to use him in that role. But you also don't want to pass up an opportunity to win a baseball game because you're holding him for Sunday. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because we talked to Nikhazy too yesterday, and like they would really be in some deep trouble if he kind of hadn't stabilized the Saturday thing, given kind of how erratic Sunday's been. And it's interesting because I asked Mike kind of what the the deal with Nikhazy's been, because like his stuff really kind of speaks for itself. Like that's probably most of it, but 
he doesn't really ever seem to like pitch beyond himself. Like he always stays within himself. No really matter the scenario and like his composure as a freshman seems to be beyond most kids at that, at that yeah. juncture in their career. Yeah. I've said, I've said for a while now it's beyond his years and, and which is going to serve him well, probably as the Friday night guy next year after Will Etheridge goes to the draft. Um, you know, so I, I think Nikhazy is probably going to be one of the better pitchers that comes to Ole Miss because I still still think there's some filling out to do. I think the fastball velocity gets up. He his fastball has some natural cutting action. I don't know if you call it a cutter, but it's got some really good late movement on it into right-handers and away from lefties. So uh, you know, I think the velocity can improve there, and he he I think he could possibly leave here as a first-round pick just from how he handles the the mental aspect of things so early in his career. Yeah, and he's a smart kid. Um, Rod skateboard. Yeah, he does. He does a big skateboarder. Um, so <laughs> smart kid, kind of really even keel, and I think that's been the biggest thing for him because in really every single one of his starts, he's had an inning where things could have really gone off the rails, and and they didn't. He was able to kind of neutralize. I mean, he, what he gave up. Two in either the first or second inning at Louisville, he had that start against ECU where he gave up the three-run home run where things could have really gotten squirrely, and he was able to kind of squash it each time. Yeah, and, and that's kind of what you need. Is almost hasn't had a ton of that outside of Will Etheridge from a starting perspective. It seems like when things unravel, nobody's able to get off the field, uh, and, and he's provided you know such stability on Saturday from that perspective. So... Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Ole Miss does on Sunday. It would be like it, it's it's going to be interesting if you're sitting here Monday morning and think fe- like feeling as if they figured something out. I don't know if that's necessarily going to be the case, but how shocked it, would you be if if it, if on Sunday Tyler Myers, Houston Roth, or nor Gunnar Hogland start? Um. Very, because I I don't yeah, even I really know what I don't. Yeah, that's what we were talking about. I don't know like, what the next I, option would be. I don't think there is one. I mean, you're not starting Jordan Fowler. God, you're not, no. I don't. I doubt he's on the roster. You're not starting Caleb Hill. No, I'm trying to just think of options. I don't think there, there's there's literally not. I mean, yeah, it's, this is what we were trying to discuss last night. I was discussing. I don't know if there's an option outside of those three. It could have um, been Trophy if you hadn't started him Tuesday. But like, I mean, I guess you could still start him, but it went so poorly that. Well, yeah, that's kind of my point. Like, yeah. I mean, it, Like, if they had held that experiment for Sunday, which I I guess in hindsight they're probably pretty glad they did not. The only thing is he did this in 2016 for a weekend was – and I don't think he'd do this – is he he went, you know, I think on – in 2016 they were playing Arkansas, and he went Brady Bramlin on Friday – David Parkinson on Saturday and TBA on Sunday and then started wide short on Sunday because he hadn't used short. I guess he could do that with Caracy, but I don't, I don't see that. No, because short like showed the ability to extend a little bit more than Caracy did. And that seemed to project better. So yeah, like, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not saying he couldn't do it either. Like I, I guess that, that's certainly possible, but I I don't see that particularly because particularly at this juncture with that being such like he Crazy's been pretty consistent for them this yeah. year like and you know like like that seems like very out of Mike's character to uproot a closer situation that's working to be like here go start because yeah. short was that was a little different scenario in terms of like yeah he closed games for them but like he wasn't like coming into the year as their all-American, like, blow-it-by-you guy on the back end, you know? Right. The only time I can think of him him just plucking a guy that shut down games for Ole Miss and putting him in the rotation was, I guess, Scott Weathersby in 15. But, you know, that, again, was a little bit different because Weathersby, uh, obviously, and I think Parker could, you know, be extended to an extent, but I think Weathersby was a guy that you knew you could get five or six innings out of if you needed to. Yeah, so that's really kind of the main thing I'm looking at this weekend. I mean, that they they've got a. I mean, I keep saying this, but like they 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 with their situation on Sunday being as it is, and I know it's this way with a lot of teams, but they, they would do well to stop squandering good outings from Will Etheridge. <laughs> well, tonight's gonna be tough because because Tommy Mace is one of the best pitchers in uh, the SEC. I've watched him pitch a few times. He's got a. He sits, uh, you know, ninety two to ninety four, but he's got an eighty eight to ninety one mile an hour cutter. 
Um, and he's got a cutter that looks extremely like his slider that's 82 to 83. It's going to be tough to score tonight. So Will Etheridge is going to have to be good. No, this is going to have to win a low-scoring contest because there's not a lot you can do with Mace besides hopefully, you know, if you're on Miss, run his pitch count up and try to get into that bullpen that's not very good. Yeah, and, and that is a, that is, I mean, if you get into a two-one-two-two game, kind of going into the seventh and on, and get him out of the game, Ole Miss does probably have the upper hand there, particularly with all like all fresh, all things considered, when you have kind of every weapon available. Absolutely. Like, I mean, like it, it, it feels like a night. Like obviously, it's it's, it's probably going to go Etheridge, Etheridge Miller, and then Caracy. Yeah, like, that's what I. It, I highly doubt they throw Tyler Myers today. I think they make sure they hold him today. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of been the game plan in most games, unless things have gotten, like, really out of hand. Not out of hand, but, like, weird with the score. Like, if it's your prototypical close Friday night game, he's probably going Etheridge Miller or Caracy. That's kind of, like, the, the game plan. And obviously, there are times where you have to deviate from that. But, but on Friday nights, that's kind of been, that's kind of been it. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of expect that tonight. You know, if they have a lead probably starting in the eighth inning, I would not be shocked if Gracie comes in to throw two innings. Yeah. Mike has not been – he has not – he's shown he's not been scared to do that by, by any stretch I, of the imagination. And you know what? I've got a lot of criticisms of Mike, but I, I, that's not one of them. I, I actually agree with that. And, and if you've got your best pitcher in the bullpen, man, and he can give you six outs, go get it. Let him get six outs. Uh, I'm not. I'm a believer that closers are. You know, I don't want to say baby, but we can get more out of closers than than people, uh, you know, think. I, I don't think throwing two innings is that big of a deal for for a guy like Caracy at this point in his career. Yeah, no, I, I I definitely agree. Like, I don't think it's that that much to ask, and I don't think obviously Caracy doesn't really mind doing it. Although no. he would probably prefer you stick three runners on base before he gets into the game. That <laughs> I've seems always to said be- we just, just quit wasting time and put a guy on first and second with one out. Let's just roll. Yeah, because that, that seems to be kind of where he kind of really just nails down, which is interesting, but I don't know. I mean, you prefer it not be that way, but like it seems like he really thrives when, when he kind of has to throw it by a guy. He does, but you know, to his credit, um, he's thrown four innings in, in SEC play this year and, and, and has given up one base runner. One hit, no walks, eight strikeouts. Um, so he's been, you know, after a little bit of a struggle, I don't want to, people put too much into some early season struggles for him. Uh, but he's been really, really good for Ole Miss lately. Yeah, and so kind of putting a bow on that, it's a it's a weekend Ole Miss has to get two. If they get three, it's it's kind of like all is – Well, if they get three, forgotten, I, they're really yeah, rolling. Like you, I'll, be, I'll be completely you kind of shocked thought if, if they got three. But, yes, you're right. If they got three, goodness gracious. <laughs> no, yeah, they, they, it feels like a weekend they have to get two. I don't think they're getting three either. I, I think they have a good chance to get two – do with his, his question like if Florida's kind of really searching with their pitching and like particularly Ole Miss being at home I think they have a good chance to get two but if they were able to somehow finish off a sweep they would really like it would it would obviously you kind of thought Tuesday was kind of an aberration but it but it would really kind of solidify that and be like okay maybe this team is kind of getting it rolling yeah and you know I, I think Ole Miss historically under Mike plays well in these series. I mean, I can't recall the last time Florida came into Oxford and beat them almost at home plays pretty well in these series. So yeah, I think it's a really good opportunity for Ole Miss to get two. And frankly, I think, you know, if you made me pick, I do think they get two. Um, yeah, yesterday at media availability, uh, I was asking, I'm writing a story about Nikhazy this morning, but I, I asked Mike a question about it and Mike gave me a good question. He told me I asked a good question. Oh goodness. Yeah, We're that improving. was a huge. I know. Like, wonder what would have happened. Parrish was saying something about it yesterday at football, and I was like, Parrish, what do you think happened if in that moment I just wrapped my arms around him and gave him a big old bear hug? <laughs> what uh, What did you ask? If you don't mind me asking, I just asked if he thought. I mean, it was an obvious question. I was trying. I mean, it was one of those questions where you ask to try to get a certain quote because you know it's kind of the case. But I just asked. I was like, look, like the Casey stuff speaks for itself. Like, do you think the biggest thing, like with him so far in it's like kind of solidifying your Saturday thing is him, the composure he has. And do you think it's beyond most freshmen you see at this point? <laughs> and he's like, good question. I was like, thanks, man. This might be the nicest thing you've ever said to me. So, <laughs> after five years, I did ask him after. So I thought it was interesting off to the, off to the side. 
like we were just kind of walking off because they were in the Manning Center yesterday because it was pouring down rain. And yeah. I was like, I've always wondered this. When y'all go to places like Vanderbilt in a place you know you have turf, do y'all do more work in here? And he said, one, no, not really, because he actually said those turf fields actually play different speeds depending on how much he said sand, and I wonder if he's talking about the turf pellets in there, if he actually yeah. is talking about sand. But he says they play different speeds, and I thought that was kind of interesting. They do. Yeah, they, they play. The, the, the one at Missouri is not near as fast as the one at Vanderbilt. Uh, the one at Louisville, I've heard, is the fastest in the country. So, yeah, it's, it's a different ballgame depending on which field you go to. So it's, hard, it's really kind of hard to prepare for. He said most. He said it's not a huge adjustment though, because most of those kids have played on turf at some point. Like, oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Youth ball and all that. But he said the biggest thing is sliding, and like I think you saw a video back of them at Tulane the night before when they were kind of taking BP and everything. They were all sliding to second base because Mike said, "Yeah, I mean, you look up at Vanderbilt and you can start your slide at second base and end up in the left field wall, which that does, <laughs> that doesn't sound pleasant." So I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Like it's always different. It's weird seeing them in the IPF because obviously, like it's a gigantic like football facility in there, and they're running around in baseball pants. But like, can you hit in the IPF? Um, no. So they were doing like fielding drills and stuff, and afterwards they were going back to hit in the cage. I just, okay. Like I, I feel like you would just be peppering the drywall in that place if you tried to hit in there. Like it's probably big enough to some degree, but like if you have like Thomas Dillard or Chase Cockrell in there, start taking like actual live BP, you're probably gonna start breaking stuff. I guess that's that's something else we should kind of discuss. Is, is what are they gonna do this weekend? What do you think they're gonna do? Let's assume because Florida again doesn't pitch a ton of lefties. Let's assume they're gonna face three right-handed starters. What do you kind of think they do from my Adam Servideo Cockrell Elko lineup perspective this weekend? Same thing they did last weekend. Kevin Graham at, at DH and play. You don't think Elko gets a start? Oh, I think he could. I, I, I think, but I mean, you really want to screw with the Graham Zabowski thing right now? I kind of like what no. they're doing with that. No, but I, I think you could, if you want to move Servideo to second and take Adams out and put Elko in right, you could do that. Yeah, I think that's about the only other ripple you can add, though. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, like, it's either what they did exactly what they did last weekend to your point. Adams is the like if Elko's inserted in the lineup, it's probably Adams that's out. Yeah, it's, yeah, because you know Cerritia really handles right-handed pitchers well. Now if Florida throws a left-handed pitcher, that's all bets off because because has really really struggled against lefties at this point in his career. I almost wanted to ask Mike if he has a turf lineup. I was like, you got guys that handle turf better than others, but I think <laughs> after you asked such a good question, he would have looked at you and, and had some choice words. Yeah, it was, it was probably a bridge too far. But anyway, so I guess kind of putting a bow on that, it'll be an interesting weekend. We'll have coverage at supertalk.fm. I'll have this story on the Casey out in just a bit. Um, really kind of the big, obviously the big thing going on campus other than baseball this weekend is the spring game. And Man, if you say so. There's not a whole lot of buzz going around the spring game, but I actually am interested in a, quite a few things in it because I don't think you're going to see a whole lot. In, I mean, I know for a fact you're not going to see <laughs> a whole lot in terms of like what they're going to be doing offensively. I think you might get a little bit better idea defensively because it's not like they're going to be dialing up blitz packages and stuff in the spring game, but you're going to kind of see like some schematic stuff defensively that that will be different. And so, like, I uh, I don't know. I, I like, last year, it was much of the same, and so there was not a whole lot of, like, intrigue really at all. I mean, Boban and all of that attitude towards the football program aside, like, last year, you still had the same coordinators, the same quarterback, really the same offensive line, different running back, and really the same issues on defense. But this year, there's so much different is there is a lot of stuff going on. Like, you, I think you'll learn something from this, and I think it'll be more like personnel stuff more than anything else. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, look, it's been a it's been a spring of installation, and and they're gonna they're gonna be super super vanilla for a multitude of reasons on Saturday. Um, but you're right; you'll be able to tell some things from a personnel standpoint and see what they're gonna be able to do, how they'll line up, and you know who they're. You'll probably be able to tell who they're probably counting on at this point of the spring. Now, obviously, there's still a fall to go. There's just some weight program to go, and and certain guys will get implemented after the uh, after the installation process because they pick it up more quickly. But in saying that, I mean, yeah, you'll be able to tell some things on Saturday, you know, going into going into the football season. And it'll be a much different look than probably uh, 2018 spring game, uh, to say the least. So, yeah, I mean, there's some interesting storylines, I guess, to uh, to be certain. I've got four or five just written down, just kind of stuff to look 
for it. And the first one I had, and this is literally just me jotting stuff down right before we started recording it. It was, who do they have at the outside linebacker spot? Because that's been the biggest like transition point. I feel like in this defense is they've moved some guys from defensive end to that fourth, like that spotted outside linebacker, and some guys from inside linebacker to outside. So who they're kind of counting on there? Uh, obviously, I think Sam Williams is one, and that's a JUCO kid that you yeah. haven't seen a ton of yet. It's, you know, probably they the need, best player they saw yeah, in I was that class. Say, they need him to be good. Yeah, and and I, I think it. I I don't know enough to know whether he'll be good at this point, but but I, I think you feel pretty good about a JUCO guy with that. Like, I mean, it's better than throwing a, a high school kid or some like something else in there. You know, I mean, the kid's got enough experience sure. in terms of playing beyond high school football. So. You got that, and then I'll be interested to see kind of who, like, as a kind of a byproduct or trickle-down effect of that, who is playing inside. Like, I, obviously, I think it's Sonogo, and Kevontae Ruggs is suspended. That's Although, what I'm I believe, saying, especially. I, I, I can't remember, though, if he, I believe Ruggs might have been moved outside um, before his suspension. I could be wrong about that, but it'll be interesting to see kind of how the linebackers in general are lined up. Yeah, um, yeah. But the rugs be small to be playing that outside Rodge Escher, I'll be honest. To you think small? Well, I think part of that is 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 is, is them having the ability to drop in coverage. And so I, I think that's probably more so than right. anything. Can he handle that responsibility? So I don't know. I, I him not being out there is actually probably like Matt Luke said they didn't give a lot of information, but they said he'd be back like he'd have a chance to be back at some point. But like that's a pretty big loss for them if he's not back. Yeah, that's why I expect he'll be back. Uh, those things usually work themselves out. Yeah, I agree. But so I guess it'll look different without him. The next thing I had written down was, well, it was next to the outside linebacker spots. Is who's going to be the down linemen that aren't at nose tackle? Because Benito Jones told us yesterday that basically he's kind of been manning nose tackle. So basically, you're interested in the front seven. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's really kind of yeah, essentially what it is. Like, obviously, you have Jones at nose tackle. I think he's probably moved to one of those those other techniques out outside of it. But just kind of who they have there, because I think they've actually done decently well in adding some defensive line depth. They've added some nice pieces, and they have some guys that I think they feel pretty good about. You know, whether it's Coatney or, or a couple of the other guys or Quentin Bivens. So I, I think they're actually like that's kind of something that hasn't been talked about. Is like they they've been okay. Like they weren't good last year because they couldn't get pressure off the edge very much but in this 3-4 scheme like in terms of having guys kind of inside on the interior defensive line I think they're going to be okay there yeah and I think they'll be a lot better there though look they didn't play well as a defensive line unit last year for uh, for again a multitude of reasons um I think they're going to be a lot better there this year like you said they've, they've got some guys with some experience they've got some guys that you know are counting on that's always been talented and I think they'll be better there. So, yeah, you know, you get the front seven and, and how uh, McIntyre's going to align that differently. So that'll be something to watch on Saturday for sure. Benito Jones is healthy. He has shoulder surgery in the offseason. That was something that I remember him bringing up for a while. And I asked him if it – I was like, that's something that's been bothering you for a while. And he said middle of the season last season. And I, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I actually think he was talking about the 2016. 20- 17 season, yeah. 17 he tore it. season. Yeah, he tore it in the uh, fall camp of 2017. And I don't remember if he had surgery at the end of last year. He probably had something to alleviate, like to, to fix it to some degree, but I think it's kind of finally actually fixed this offseason. But, I, yeah, I think that was bothering for a while. But you had him and Cotney and Todd. They just – last year they couldn't get any pressure off the edge. And, like, obviously you lose a Marquise Haynes, like that. that's probably going to happen. But, man, like they – they didn't get a whole lot off the edge last year, and I think that was their biggest thing. So maybe this whole kind of 3-4 thing where you have some of the outside linebackers and ends kind of standing up will help. I think that that will probably suit them better. Sure. Boy, you never you never feel smaller as a human being when because uh, Benito tore his labrum, and I have torn my labrum, and there is a 0% chance I would be playing college football with a torn labrum. That man went out there and played football for half a season with a torn labrum, which is one of the more impressive things I've ever heard. Yeah, that, that sounds pretty painful. So the next thing I had is who's backup quarterback. I think it'll be Tisdale, but I'm not sure. I, well, mean, it, I, I guess it could be Kincaid Dent, but I, I think Tisdale probably fits it a little better. Well, the thing is, like, I, I think, yeah, if you had to have a backup quarterback today, it's probably Grant Tisdale. I think the backup quarterback when Ole Miss kicks off the 2019 football season it is is at uh, Oak Grove High School right now, though. Yeah, that's probably fair. 
You think he, so? You think he ends up coming to play? You think he plays college football? Oh, absolutely, Plumley. Yeah, yeah. I, I He's got a decision to make. Uh, I don't. See, I, I don't know if it's so much of a decision as I think he might could play pro baseball and then play football. I don't think he's a guy that is going to completely disband in football um, to go play. I don't think he gets selected high enough to do that. Now Ely certainly could. Yeah, no, I, I don't anticipate Ely coming. That'll be interesting because I will be honest. I, I think and, you know we're getting a little bit off topic here, but that's fine. I think the Kyler Murray thing has really, really hurt Ely. I don't think guys are gonna. I don't think people are gonna take chances on prospects like that anymore. Because if Ely says to them, "No, I want to play football," I don't think they're gonna let him do that. Um, and I think you know, I think there is part of him that wants to play football. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard to get inside the. I mean, unless you're obviously kind of direct. Sure. Dealing with him, I, I think it's hard to get inside the kid's head, but I think there probably is something to that. I think that there is a Kyler Murray effect, whether it's specifically on Jerry Neely, I don't know, but I'm just, I think that's a real thing with kids in general that are kind of making that decision. But he's been like the difference to me between him and Murray, and like I obviously there's a million differences, but my biggest thing is when even when he signed on signing day, he said, kind of baseball still has my heart at the Correct. moment. And I just wonder, you know. He says that, and then he gets into kind of baseball mode and plays his high school season. Like, obviously, like 17, 18-year-old kids, impressionable kind of what they're doing right now seems to dictate what they do. So I wonder how much an effect that has on it. I do want, I do think this. I think with Ely, it's all or nothing. I don't think he plays one at, at the pro level and one at the college level. I think he either plays college baseball and college football or, or plays pro baseball. I don't think there's a split at this point, uh, you know, especially after the Murray thing. Yeah, probably right, but I don't know. It'll be interesting. So, and then the third thing I had offensively was how they use Tyler Knight. He's a guy that's been in the slot. Jacob Peeler seemed like genuinely like kind of lit up when 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 asked about <laughs> Tyler Knight last night because he is. He called him a phone booth guy, which I think stands for a small kid that's really quick. So I'm gonna start referring Call to myself as phone that. Booth. Yeah, I'm gonna start telling girls I'm a phone booth guy. See how that <laughs> where that gets me. Oh. <laughs> So it'll be interesting to see how they use him because he's a like for he's a like he's an interesting story and I kind of want to dig further into this kid because he's I mean he he's he's like my height on it's like he he makes me feel like like an SEC football player when interviewing the kid <laughs> just for a brief second but he's he's really quick he's a freshman that's already played offense and defense in his career and that's obviously probably because of the disastrous scenario around him defensively more so than anything else last year through injuries among other things but he can do a lot i mean he he, he can kind of like in rich rodriguez in offense is kind of run based and 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 kind of uses running and speed a lot like he seems to be a really nice fit as like a scat back but i'll be interesting to see it like what they use how they use him in the passing game i don't know how much you'll figure out from that tomorrow but like just maybe seeing his ability to catch passes and run routes will be interesting yeah and i think you know uh Look, he was the best player, not from a prospect, you know, type deal. I'm, I'm not. I'm far from a prospect gauge. He was the best Mississippi player in the 2017 class, as far as just absolute football player. He's a um, six state player of the year. Yeah, uh, I mean, so it was kind of hard for Ole Miss to, you know, and it's this didn't work out obviously, but it was kind of hard for Ole Miss to tout this Mississippi made thing and not take that kid because again, he was the best player um, in high school football that year. Um, not the best prospect. Don't, don't hear me wrong. The best high school football player that year was Tyler Knight. So Ole Miss takes him and, and, you know, look, they've got to find him a position. They can't keep rotating this poor kid and asking him to do so many different things. But I think you're right. I think he's a guy that really fits Rich Rod's offense. I think he's a guy that look, I think he's dangerous with the football in his hands. Um, so he can do a lot of different things from p- returning punts, returning kicks, playing, playing the, you know, slot, um, you know, taking the ball in jet sweeps, that type of thing. So I, I think he's kind of a guy that, you know, could be elusive and could be dangerous once he gets football in his hands. You say find him a position. I think I don't necessarily disagree, but I think this is probably it. Like, obviously, they, right. him, him at his height and stature really probably didn't have much of a future at the SEC level defensively. I, I mean, obviously, last year they just had to do that out of necessity. But, like, I think he can thrive in this kind of, yeah, jet sweep, kind of scat back type position because it fits his skill set because he can do a lot of different things. And obviously you're probably not running the kid between the tackles, at no, least not by kill. design. 
But yeah, like, no. th- I think this could this could really like this could be something that suits him well. Yeah, I mean, he'll get killed if he runs between the tackles. I mean, not everybody's Dexter McCluster. I think he's even smaller than Dexter. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I I don't think he's as big as Dex was. Um, but you know, so. I think what I meant by finding a position is, is there's been so many guys with Ole Miss that have, they've just tried everywhere, and, and that never works. So I, I think they've got to just leave this kid here, even if it takes a year for him to get adjusted. I mean, he's just a sophomore. So I think he's a guy that, you know, he's a four-year guy. So just leave him here and find out what he can do from this uh, slot position. Then the wide receivers, it, obviously you lose DK Metcalf, A.J. Brown, Demarcus Lodge. I mean, that's – that's that's hard to replace, but I do think they have some interesting pieces. Like I think they're going to be okay there. Like they got a JUCO kid in Dontario Drummond who's got experience, who's gotten a lot of reps in the spring. Who I obviously I think he'll contribute a lot next fall. And then Demarcus Gregory is kind of a bigger physical receiver that was injured last year. He probably would have played in a couple of games if he hadn't have been hurt. Well, he hurt his he tore his ACL at the end of high, high school, school yeah. and so was never in really in the mix for playing time last year. But seems to be healthy. Um, and then they have I mean Braylon Sand. Sanders was kind of the lost guy in this offense last year. I say lost guy. He wasn't like he wasn't underused per se, but but he, yeah, he didn't wasn't really. Yeah, Knox. Yeah, no, no, he didn't. But he didn't catch the bulk of kind of the NWO mantra that they ran out there. But he's a really good receiver. And then they've got Elijah Moore in the slot, who's kind of like Tyler Knight in terms of speed. I mean, if you got if you went four wide with those two guys in the slot, that that seems like a very fairly difficult matchup. Yeah, I mean, you got to have linebackers that can run to cover that. So yeah, you know, they, they look. They obviously lost a lot of you know production from the wide receiver spot, but they they've recruited well with that spot, and you know, almost does a good job. You know, they don't do a good job recruiting linebackers. They do a really good job of getting receivers, and uh, you know, if if Corral's able to get them the football, they'll they'll I think they'll be better on offense than people expect, assuming the offensive line holds up. Yeah, I agree. So, like, I, I, obviously, there's going to be a drop off in receiver because you don't really just replace DK Metcalf. No. Demarcus Lodge and AJ Brown, but I think they have enough pieces there to be okay. It'll be a different type of receiving court. Like you're not going to see the the kind of you know, I mean, the what would Longo called it the get open play where you just kind of throw it up to one of them. Like that's not going to be happening as much. But I do think they have some ways to create separation and get open. I mean, you're going to have some kids like Gregory and Drummond probably are going to have some adjustments in terms of like seeing more press coverage and things like that. But I, I think they're going to be okay overall at this spot because they have some versatile pieces. Yeah. And, you know, I think Jacob Peeler is a really good wide receivers coach. Um, so I, yeah, I think they'll be fine there. I don't, you know, like you said, you're not going to see some of the nasty plays that, uh, that you saw out of those guys last year from, you know, DK just leaving guys in the dust and then AJ making people miss after the catch and Lodge going up and grabbing it with one hand. I don't think you're going to see, you know, that type of spectacular play, but I think you're going to see a bunch of guys that are consistent and, and catch the football and, and get yards after the catch and, uh, you know, or safety blankets for Matt Corral for sure. Yeah, no doubt. And so really the kind of the last thing I had was the offensive line, who plays where, which is kind of a, a question that answers itself because everybody's going to play everywhere as of right now. We talked to Bryce <laughs> Matthews yesterday, and he was like, yeah, I think in practice I've played all five positions at some point or another. That's and, hard. Well, they've got seven newcomers coming in. So, like, their depth is depleted. Now you lose a lot in, in really just – I mean, you lose a lot in terms of depth, but also like just veteran presence with Sean Rawlings, Jordan Sims – and obviously Greg Little. Um, so it's really kind of this newer crop of guys, like, time to kind of step forward. Like the Bryce Matthews, the Ben Brown, the Eli Johnson. Like that whole group that kind of came in 16, maybe one a little bit later in 17. But, like, this is kind of this is kind of like their turn. Like, I mean, they're, they're going to be it next year. Yeah, there's not another option. So, uh, you know, those, those guys got to play. They obviously signed a lot of guys and, and – and- on signing day, but they're counting on the guys that are there to be to take the bulk of the offensive line production. And if those guys don't produce, Ole Miss is in for a long season. I think that you know Jack Becknell is a really good football coach, and, and they'll get a lot out of them. But yeah, it's it's definitely on their plate to be able to produce at this point. And there's options. I mean, there's guys that have been around the program. I mean, you're talking about Royce Newman, Bryce Matthews, Chandler Tewitt. Ben Brown like they, they've got options that are like I don't know if experience is the right word like Ben Brown's case you could probably go experience Bryce Matthews has some experience like what he Bryce Matthews appeared in seven games as a freshman and some last year so I mean like they, they have guys that have played so I, I, 
it'll just be interesting to see is who's playing where because they're going to be moving around a lot and then how different that looks once they get the newcomers in in the spring. I, yeah. In the That'd fall, be- excuse me. Yeah, it's just it'll be a lot of plug and play, and and you'll you know they got to build some depth on there. Only having seven guys available right now, I don't really know what they'll do from a spring game perspective, honestly. Um, but you know they they've got some guys that that they're going to count on that have been in the program a while, and and those guys, it's you know it's their time. For whatever reason, they haven't played. You know they sat behind three starters and probably a top two round pick and Greg Little. Um, so yeah, but it's, uh, those guys are no longer here. So Ole Miss needs them pr- to produce. They need them to. Uh, you know, show up and be the show the reason that Ole Miss signed them. Yeah, so that was it's kind of some things to watch for in the spring game. That's really about all I got. We'll have coverage of that at supertalk.fm. That's Arkansas uh, uh, still doesn't have a basketball coach. Yeah, they do not. <laughs> I, I, uh, I I told you though, Kel. I mean, they're they're they, he Houston broke out the was checkbook. more than yeah. I mean, he's yeah. He's he's Tillman Fertitta, man. He's got a uh, what's the is his TV show Billion Dollar Buyer? Like, if you got your I own guess. TV show called that, like, you could probably pony up anything you want. So they did. They broke out the checkbook. They kept him. Arkansas is literally becoming closer and closer to Memphis by the day. Like what they think they are compared to what they actually are. Very big disconnect there. I get what you're saying, but when they hire Greg Marshall, I mean, they'll kind of say they they well, I mean, it'll technically be a win when they hire Greg Marshall. I mean, if that if that's the route they go, you know, and they, he interviewed for the job yesterday, I think the report was, and if they can make that work, then it kind of all works out. If that doesn't work, I don't know what they do. Um, yeah, because I guess the muscleman ship probably sailed at this point. I think that sailed, yeah. So, I mean, do you call Shaka and see if he wants to get out of Texas? Why do you want Shaka smart? Well, I mean, I get what you're saying, but you're you're kind of at dire need. Like, if if Marshall turns you down, I don't know where you go. I'd hire a mid-major guy before I hired Shaka smart. He hasn't proven he can do anything. But, like, who's the mid-major guy? Because all the mid-majors suck this year. There were some, I don't know. Like, why would you not go kick the tires on, like, a... I mean, Mick Cronin's probably. Not, I mean, I'm not talking mid majors here, but yeah, like, I mean, like, Cronin's going to UCLA. It seems maybe if they don't if they don't work out the buyout with Jimmy Dixon. But I mean, why are you not kicking the tires on like a Chris? Like New Mexico State had a hell of a year this year. What's that guy? Chris Jans, I think is his name. Why are you not kicking the tires on that or or like something? Like you know, I mean, like there's other options out there. I'm not hiring or Craig Smith at Utah State. Like I, I, I'm not hiring Shaka Smart. He hasn't done any. He literally in the last decade hasn't hardly done anything. He won the NIT last night. So you show some respect. Yeah, well, good for him. Good for him. I'm sure. <laughs> any- I'm sure that's what those Texas boosters are like. This is why we went and got this guy from VCU. So I wonder. Cut down if, the I wonder nets if, in Madison Square Garden. I wonder if uh, he has any interest in that Virginia Tech job that's now open. Shaka. Yeah, if I'm him, I take it. I try to take it. I would take really. He, you talk about like there's always this talk about coaches like, like Buzz Williams has played it perfectly to where he's never stayed at one place so long that like the like for the downturn like he's already he's always like left when he's on top or above expectations. And I've always heard like coaches like obviously like like anytime you can get a fresh start, take it. And like if Chaka can get any kind of fresh start right now, I would take it because unless they have a big year next year, he's probably on the chopping block. Yeah, well, I mean, that's you know, from a you know, at home perspective, that's why Mike White was interested in the Ole Miss job um, because you know he was on the chopping block at Florida last year before they made that tournament run. Um, but yeah, you're right. I, I, I'm interested to kind of see because there's, there's some carousel work to be done. I don't think our, you know Arkansas hasn't hired a coach. Is Vanderbilt officially hired Stackhouse yet? Um, I think that's basically a done deal. I don't know if it's official. That's an interesting hire. Um, well, I mean, you, you look around at the league and you see, like, the, the SEC is becoming just an absolute gauntlet, and then you're going to hire a guy with, like, really, who's kind of, I mean, he's unproven it, it completely as a college head coach. I don't really get that one either, considering what, like, look at the landscape around you, and then you go to Jerry Stackhouse. I don't, I don't necessarily get that either. I wonder what LSU's going to do because I mean, obviously they're going to have to hire a football basketball coach. I don't, I just don't know what they're going to do um, because they're going to lose everybody, and you're probably going to be on NCAA probation. So you've got to hire a guy that's willing to come over and take over a mess. Um, and I don't know what they're going to do. That's that's one of the more interesting hires going forward because it's kind of like the Ole Miss job when they hired Luke is you don't know what you're walking into, so not a lot of the guys are going to be interested. Um, yeah, so they they're a uh, 
according to Ross Dellinger yesterday, they're looking to maybe reinstate Will Wade, which would be absolutely hilarious. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't know that was an option. Uh, no, yeah. So apparently they're trying to get him to meet with, like, you know, his whole deal was like he got suspended because he, his, his legal counsel was like, hey, don't go meet with the, like, the administration right. about what happened. Apparently they're getting closer to meeting uh, about that. And if they do, <laughs> reinstating him is a possibility, which would be just the greatest thing ever. Like, I, that's literally just taking your middle finger and cranking it up in the air and be like, Ibert, like, have somebody. <laughs> like, have, okay. I mean, that's like, you, that would be so perfect. But if, if you, you do that, I know what you're about to say, because we brought up on the radio, why suspend him? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, I don't get it. Because I, I, that, that wouldn't make any strategic sense, because you basically, if you end up doing that, and I, this could be much ado about nothing, where you just, it, it's just talk. But if you... If, if they do actually reinstate him, yeah, why in the hell would you have suspended him in the first place? You just wasted and squandered probably your most well, talented team ever. Well, you just said, well, you suspended him, so you said he did something wrong, and now you're going to bring him back. Why? You said he did something wrong. Like, like, I mean, do you just want the NCAA to crush you? Because trust me, they will. Uh, well, they could probably get by in the sense that, like, hey, we suspended him because he wouldn't tell us what happened. Since he told us what happened, we now feel comfortable, like, reinstating him but to the overall okay. point is, is just as a strategy it makes no sense like 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 i don't think it, like i think they could get around the reason for reinstating him but just the overall strategy just it doesn't make any jo- sense joe oliva brain surgeon yeah he's uh he's what his contract's done next summer he is and uh, so is he yeah no he's that 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 ship's probably sailed i'm actually a little surprising, and this could happen. This could happen as like part of the fallout of this whole deal. But I'm, I'm surprised he's still around. Yeah, I mean, Ed kind of saved him by being competent, which nobody thought he would be. Because um, if Ed rolls out of seven and five last year, Ed's, you know, Ed and him are in the in, in the river. So you know, I, I think I think Oliva's done, uh, especially if Ed kind of struggles this year. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think he's probably probably done to well you think ed's done no i well if he struggles this year you're always done at lsu i mean if ed goes seven and five they'll they'll fire him i don't know man it depends on how how it yeah i don't know i don't think he i don't think he's going seven seven and five five. though i think they're going to be better offensively i mean what they went they were uh i mean they what they go last year 10 and 3 was last year the year they lost to troy no no, they lost to A and M, Bama, and somebody else. I so can't they remember went who. Ten and three in what was supposed to be a transition year because they didn't have much offensive talent at all. That's no. not bad. No, they lost to they lost to Florida too. So no, they were really good last year. I'm not saying I expect Ed to go seven and five, but if you go seven and five at LSU, they they put you in the river. So yeah. but anything uh, got your attention a week in the MLB play besides the Cubs being horrible? Um. It's just so early. No, not really. Um, the Reds haven't scored in two games. They haven't, and it's it's. I've I've I still like am kind of plugged into like the Reds internet community just from like following different things, and they're they're not happy about it. I do think that comes around because one, like the the if you look at it big picture, last year their lineup was really actually a pretty formidable lineup. Their starting pitching was just absolutely atrocious, and like to me they've. If anything, enhance their lineup as a whole. I mean, you add Kemp, you get Shebler and Wink, like you get uh, Winker back. Uh, Shebler hasn't Puig. been very, very good, but I think that comes around. Obviously, you add Puig. So, like to me, obviously, it's a 162 game season. It's five games, six games, or whatever. Like it's probably a little alarming, but to me, that's going to come around. So the fact that they're starting pitching, because if you look at the starting pitching, like even the guy that they that they don't think is going to be in the rotation when Alex Wood comes back, Tyler Malley was tremendous last night, and yeah. so like. Like to me, they're going to be fine. I, I don't think they're a playoff team. I think they could be. I think they could crack five hundred if the pitching conti- like continues to go this way. So my point being, is a long way of saying, I, I think the offense is going to come around. Like to me, their pitching being better than competent through six games is a bigger story, despite the bad start. What do you do? I, I'm with you. I think they're. A, I think they're. A, you know, third in the division, fourth in the division, something like that. What do you do if you're the Cubs right now? I, I like. You look at this team. There's no way this team should be one and six and and struggling like they are. And everybody can say it's it's seven games in the season. I get it. This team's horrible right now, and they are way too talented to be this bad. I mean, I just I, I don't know what firing Joe Madden does though. I mean, 
I get what you're saying, but this is, I mean, if this continues, this is unacceptable, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, they can't be that bad, but like, like I'm not making any managerial, like, like I'm not firing a guy, I guess, until May. Like the, the Reds did it last year with Brian Price to where like, they're like, okay, bad start through 10 games. Like this isn't great. We'll keep going. But then, you know, you start three and 19. Well, somebody's got to go. Like, so like if it gets that bad, obviously I'm kidding, but I think they're going to be fine. I mean, they were a 95-win team last year. But they faded. They, they, they absolutely faded in August and September. But they're not going to fade to 70 wins or something like that. Man, I don't know. This bullpen's so bad. Craig Kimbrell's available. He's not good. But the issue is they got to get it to Kimbrell. Like, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, like Carl Edwards Jr. is a joke right now. Uh, Brandon Kinsler's the only one the bullpen can get out. I mean, Tyler Chatwood is owed a bazillion dollars to walk everybody in the park. If you can't tell, I'm a little frustrated. Um, so, but yeah, I, I just don't know what you do if you're the Cubs right now. The uh, Rays look really good. They're a team that I think could could make a push towards a wild card bid. If hell, oh, I think they're 100 percent going to be a wild card. They won 90 games last year. No one talked there. about it because that division was absurd. But they won 90 games last year and unequivocally got better. I told and, you my book, my bold prediction for that thing was. Uh, for the East was that they're finishing second in front of either the Red Sox or the Yankees. I don't know which one, but I think well, they are. They might win it if those two teams don't figure it out. I mean, obviously early, but you know they ha- they haven't played well. No, but yeah, I like the Rays. I mean, you talk like that might have been. Is that the quietest ninety win season of all time? All time, yeah, yeah. I mean, no one talked about it, and it's partially because they got off to a, kind of a not bad. I mean. It, it was a bad start, and then they were kind of 500 through most of the summer and made a push late. But it just like with the way that the wild card shook out last year with the A's chasing the Astros, and uh, and obviously the, the 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 teams ahead of them in the AL East, like they weren't even really in the playoff race ever, which is crazy. No, uh, I tell you what, I I found my new favorite. I'm a, I'm a Clayton Kershaw stan, but I think I found my new favorite young pitcher. Last night, Trevor Bauer after the game, so that he loads the bases in the third inning, and my man proceeded to throw twelve straight curveballs and get two strikeouts and a flyout to get out of it without uh, giving up an out. And they asked him after the game, they said, you know, Trevor, what what did you kind of find there with the bases loaded? And he's like, well, I figured out after about after I walked the bases loaded that none of these cats could hit my curveball. So I just kept throwing curveballs, and that gummit, if it didn't work, he might be my new favorite player. Yeah, he's good, and he he knows it too. Which which yeah, he's cocky as all get out, but which is good for them because Kluber is broke right now. So is Aaron Nola. Yeah, I think uh, I don't know the Indians. I mean, the Indians are going to win that division by default. I don't really believe in the Twins, but and everyone no. else is not trying to win. So <laughs> I don't. know. The White Sox It'll, are trying. They're just young. Yeah, and they basically signed all of Manny Machado's relatives only to not get Manny Machado. So, like, <laughs> you have yeah. to cut them. Is that like when you sign the uh, prospect's brother uh, and he doesn't sign there that you just have to tell him to get lost? Not that Ole Miss would do, know anything about that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. But that, that division that division will get better, but the rate, I mean, the, the Royals are a long way off. And then, like, the White Sox probably aren't that far off. So you could have a year or two here in the next little bit where you got three teams going for it. But, um, yeah, that's about all I've got for today. I've, I've, you got anything else? We'll be back at it, I guess, Monday for a spring football, baseball recap. Should have a lot to talk about. Um, unless you got anything else, I'm good. I'm good. All right. Well, we appreciate you listening on a Friday. I hope you have a wonderful weekend, and we'll be back at it on Monday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.